You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. Today's Bible reading comes from Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, and can be found at page 948. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good." And you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities and ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. You may be seated. Please join me in prayer for our missionary or ministry today, that is Hope Coffee, that we serve here at Meadowbrook Church. Sometimes we just get general guidelines for, from a specific missionary or ministry, but today we have some specific prayer requests um, as far as Hope Coffee is concerned. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you so much for today, for a beautiful day that you have ordained as a day to worship you and come together as a community of believers and study your word. Lord, today we specifically pray for Hope Coffee. We pray that the churches across America who serve Hope Coffee would be bold in building meaningful relationships with those in their communities so that they will love others and share the gospel. We pray that God would provide daily food for the many people in lockdown in Honduras, Guatemala, and Mexico, and that the the believers would be able to share the gospel message with those in their community. We pray that God would supply for the needs of Hope Coffee as a company. We pray for the sales of coffee, which is the main source of income that funds the ministry, to either return because churches are meeting on site again, or that God would give a creative way to sell coffee and tea through another avenue. Lord, we pray for wisdom and discernment in making decisions as a company and ministry. Lord, we also pray for Pastor Keith as he is preparing to deliver a message from God's Word today. May we have the ears to hear what it is you have for us today. And may we also have the desire and inspiration from the Holy Spirit to live our lives accordingly. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Good morning. How is everybody? Good. All right. Free, great. Everybody just average. 
It's uh, good to be back. Uh, much needed vacation. We uh, spent our time in Victor, Idaho, visited Yellowstone and um, the Grand Tetons and, and spent about half a day in Jackson Hole. It was, it was awesome. So, but so glad to be back. Missed you guys. Um, and been looking forward to getting into, into Romans again with you. Not necessarily Romans chapter 13. It's a little intimidating in light of everything that's going on in our world. But uh, this, uh, it's, a, it's a good example for uh, the power and strength of expository preaching. Expository preaching is when you kind of work through uh, scripture passages in the Bible or books in the Bible, and you're forced to deal with the very next thing that's before you. And the very next thing that's before us is Romans 13, verses 1 through 7. So um, blame God, uh, don't blame me for Romans 13. Um, one of the things that's easy to do with Romans, especially Romans 13, is to read it primarily in light of, like, today, without considering what was going on around the Apostle Paul when he wrote those seven verses in chapter 13. And what was going on around Paul when he wrote Romans 13 was not easy stuff. You had the Roman Empire, it was a dark place, it was a tyrannical place, it was not a friend, the empire was not a friend of the church, and uh, certainly was not a friend of the, the Hebrew people. It was, it was a place where, uh, in some ways, justice seemed to be fleeting, and in other ways, uh, it was a highly immoral place. I won't go into the details uh, because we have children you know, in this service. But it was, it was a dark place. And uh, Paul wrote Romans 13, verses 1 through 7. Uh, during uh, his lifetime, and when he wrote this, was probably around 56 or 57 A.D. To give you some context here, it was between 64 and 65 A.D., uh, nearly, maybe a little less than 10 years later, that he would die by execution at the hands of the Roman Empire. Uh, where he was beheaded um, as a form of capital punishment for, his, for him preaching the gospel. Uh, he wrote Romans 13 under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He had experienced at least one prison imprisonment by the time he wrote this passage. He had been mistreated. He had been abused. He had uh, been ridiculed for sharing the gospel by people in authority, as well as just people in, in whatever community he found himself in. And he wrote Romans 13, verses 1 through 7. Uh, a time that's not entirely unlike the time we find ourselves in today, where things seem to be upside down, uh, where uh, our, we have certain cities that think that the funding, the, defunding the police is going to make things better. Um, and, and some other horrible things that I'll just... Uh, you just go on social media, you'll find it. Um, so what I want to do is I want to look at Romans 13 and look at it in three different ways. So just kind of break it down into three sections. Uh, and I'm just going to show you my cards, what we're going to do with our time together. Uh, the first is I want to consider the Christian response to government. Like what ought to be our response to the institution of government. So that's the first thing we're going to do. And then secondly, the government's responsibility before God. What responsibility does the government have before the God of all creation? And then thirdly, which will be the 
the place where most of the application, most of my application, how does this, you know, how does this affect us on Monday? Uh, that part will, will be the third part of my sermon, which is the character of the Christian in a godless world. Like what ought to be our character in light of our current situation. So, uh, so when you look at the first two verses, let every person be subject to the government, governing authorities. Paul here, what you need to know is Paul is not suggesting this. He is, this is, a, this is a, a, an imperative. He is commanding it. He is saying, there, there's, no, there's no negotiating this. This is what we're called to, to be subject to the governing authorities. Well, well why? Because there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Regardless of how corrupt the government is, the reason why we, you know, we have the presidents that we, the president that we have now, the former president that we had, and whoever the future president is, the reason for that is because God, God put him in place. And so, what ought to be our government? Our response should be to recognize the fact that God is sovereign over government. He is in control. That's one of the things that I am uh, loving in my time, my devotional time in the book of Daniel. I am having so much, I'm getting so much out of Daniel right now that I'm seriously considering preaching through the book of Daniel come January. Um, I already have fall and Christmas planned out, but <laughs> that's what I'm, I'm thinking. And, and so we need to understand, I think for us to properly respond to government, we need to have a proper understanding of the role of the church and the role of the government in our society, in our world. There are three institutions, three main institutions, I'm not saying they're the only institutions, but the three main institutions instituted by God, like he created these three institutions, are family, the family structure, um, there's the church, and then there's government. Like God instituted government. And, and so the church or, or the family, I, I've said this before about the church and the family. The family is a microcosm picture of what the church should look like. But I also believe that the, that the family is a microcosm of, of the way government should operate in some ways and to worship him. Like we have a responsibility to raise up our children, not just to know who God is and to worship him, but to teach them what it means to be uh, responsible citizens in the society that they find themselves in, contributing citizens in the society that they find themselves in. So, so I, I, when it comes to the church and when it comes to human government, the church's role in the world, this is so important, the church's role in the world is to serve as the priest of God or the minister of God in that we speak on behalf of God and represent God to those who do not yet know or worship him. Now, the, the theological phrase used to, to describe this is the phrase special grace. That the church's role in society is special grace. We have a redemptive purpose in the society that the church finds herself in, that we speak on behalf of God. The government or the state is designed by God for the well-being of everyone. Like, for example, 
to keep order in society, to make sure food doesn't run out, to, to care for the basic needs or, or to provide a place where the basic needs of people can be provided for. And that is called uh, general grace or common grace. It's called common grace. So even the worst of governments, no matter how tyrannical, serve to provide some sense of order and justice. That was true for Rome in Paul's day. That's true for America. I can say that's true for Iran. That's true for, for, for China. Of all, all the imperfections and evil that are, these different governments are responsible for, one thing that they do is, on some level is provide some sense of order and justice. Right? Everybody kind of agree, right? So anytime, here's the rub, Anytime it is assumed by a government or those in authority that mankind is inherently good or can become better without God, it has always gone south. That is the origin of communism and socialism, and I can just go on and on. And that's what we're seeing in our nation today. So what? So, so you have this ridiculous uh, uh, proposal in certain cities to defund the police, like that's going to do any good, and we're seeing it. We're seeing that it's not doing any good. Like there, the the crime rate, the uh, violence rate, and murder rate in every city that is striving to defund the police has increased, and here's the reason why: because there's something wrong with us. And this is where the role of government comes into play, right? That, that we are born spiritually dead. That, listen, I know this isn't good, this isn't fun to hear, but we are not good people inherently. We are not. We are responsible for like 99% of the world's problems as a species. And, and, and so we, there needs to be something to suppress the evil that we're capable of. And that something is designed by God, and that something is government. It's government. And so uh, that's the role of government. The, the reason why Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, is relevant is because, listen, Romans chapter 3, verse 10, is true. What does Romans chapter 3, verse 10 say? Right, let's read this together. None is righteous, no, not one. It's a lesson some of our governors in our nation need to learn, including it's true of themselves. Um, none is righteous, no, not one. So Paul says, let every person be subject. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. Like, it's not a suggestion that you should, uh, that, that you, it's a good thing to pay your taxes. We need to pay our taxes. It's not a suggestion that, you know, you probably shouldn't steal. It's a command. You shouldn't steal. Like, there are laws in the land for, for a purpose and for a reason. And, and Paul says later, he says, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. That's so, that's so pivotal to, to just wrap our minds around and to consider for a moment. Who is it that appoints government? God. Sunday school answer. Ready? Who is it that appoints government? God. You're still not. Everybody, ready? Who is it that appoints government? God. God. Good. So, 
don't lose sleep over who the next president is going to be. Well, that's hard. Well, listen. (laughs) Uh, Whoever is going to be in office is there because God granted that person authority. Now, we have a responsibility to vote, and we should vote in accordance to our convictions that ought to be shaped by the Word of God. But at the end of the day, whoever is in office is there because God put that person in office. I mean, it's ironic because when Paul wrote Romans 13, uh, he had experienced at least three emperors in Rome. The first two died because they were murdered. Uh, the, one, the, the one before Nero was, was poisoned by his wife, and then Nero died because things didn't go his way, so he, committed, he died by suicide. And, and so most likely it was either Nero or or the guy who preceded Nero that was in office or ruling Rome when Romans 13 was written. And it was not a fun time for the church. In fact, for the first 300 years of the church's existence, if you were a Christian, it was a death sentence. And Paul said what he said. He wrote what he wrote in Romans 13, not to you know, his neighbors, but to the church. To the church. That God appointed the empire of Rome. And one day, Paul understood that God would remove the power from Rome. And he did. He did. And one of the things that's so emphatically clear when reading through Daniel is that God raises kings up and he, and, and he disposes kings or deposes kings. Um, there's a passage in, in Daniel chapter 2, and this should be our response to government. Like our understanding as we approach government, as we view government, as we respond to government, is that God is sovereign over all things, period. He's sovereign over COVID-19. He's sovereign over, sovereign over what's happening in America right now. He's sovereign over all of it. And he will one day balance the scales of justice. But this is something that's so important for us to remember as I'm reading through Daniel. This is the theme of Daniel from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 12. That, here, let's, let's read this together. God changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. That the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. Who is it that sets up kingdoms? God. So good to remember. That will save you a lot of anxiety. Um, yes, your vote matters come November. It matters. It's important. I'm going to vote. But at the end of the day, whoever is in office, I I need to be reminded that God is sovereign over that individual and over those who who write the laws of our land. The second thing that we learn from this passage is that the government's government's responsibility before God. So what is the government's responsibility before God? Um, Its responsibility is, verse 3, it is is common grace. It's for for rulers are not a terror to do good conduct, but to bad. Uh, the NIV, I, I, I like the way the NIV translates this verse. For rulers hold no terror, they hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do what? Wrong. Does that mean that it was not terrifying for Paul as he was in the dungeon of the maritime prison, 
shackled around his waist and his wrists and his ankles, probably his skin being eaten raw by, by, by that and by rats. I mean, it was a horrible prison. As he, as he said, you know, he wrote in 2 Timothy, which was the last letter that he, that he wrote, and he probably dictated it to somebody who was uh, looking at him down through a window. And he said, you know, uh, everyone has abandoned me. I'm all alone. And I am being poured out as a drink offering, which is a picture of worship, Old Testament worship. I'm being poured out. And God is the one who's pouring my life out. And the last drop is about to be, to be you know, let go and, and um, to be poured out. And uh, on, uh, I've fought the fight. I've fought the, the fight. I've run the race. And in heaven for me is the crown of life. Because they may, they, may, they may harm this physical body, but at the end of the day, not one hair on my head will perish. And, um, and so Paul experienced you know, some horrible things in, under, under the government. But, but the laws of the government, not all of them, but, but many of them were written for, for, good, for good reasons, to suppress evil. To, to, to hold back the evil that humans are capable of, of being responsible for, capable of doing. The reason why most governments, if not all governments, have laws in place that say something to the effect that murder is wrong and stealing is wrong is because we all bear the image of the living God. All of us, regardless if you believe in God or not, you bear the, we bear the image of the living God. And as a result of bearing the image of God, do you know what's true? He has written his moral code on our hearts. There's something in us that knows killing is wrong. Now, there are exa exa examples of those whose conscience is seared, like Hitler and, and others. But there's something in us that says murder is wrong. And Paul even points this out in Romans chapter 2, verse 14, which I did not preach on, but, but he starts off by saying, Look, for when Gentiles who do not have the law, what he means by that is the movie, you know, commandments. They never went to a movie theater and saw Charleston Heston's Ten Commandments movie. You know, like, like there's no context for the Old Testament or the Ten Commandments for them in terms of what they've read or, or were exposed to. And he says, for when Gentiles who do not have the law, but by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. And while their conscience also bears witness, their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Well, why? Because there's, there's this code in our, written on our hearts. And that's why in most governments, there are laws against murder and theft and other things. You know, there are laws for paying your taxes and so forth and so on. And Paul says in verse 4, he writes, but if you do wrong, be afraid. For the government does not bear, the state does not bear the sword in vain. He is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Um, but there are examples, and there are seasons in human history where the state or government has wrote laws that are bad for mankind, that are immoral, evil. And the church and charitably, examples of the church 
respectfully, honorably, and charitably standing against such laws. I'll give, you, I'll give you some examples. I wish I had time to share the stories behind these examples, but you can look them up and, and find out for yourselves. The, uh, the, God used the church as a catalyst for the eventual elimination of the gladiatorial games. There's an amazing story behind that, which maybe some other time I'll share it with you. The, the, God used the church to, 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 for, to, to speak into the rampant, and against the rampant infanticide and infant exposure of unwanted children that were left outside that was common in, Gre- in the Greco-Roman world. God used the church to speak against that, and there were laws that were created to, to prevent that from happening. Uh, God used the church for, uh, as a catalyst in the eradicating of the African slave trade in Europe and the West. That's why in Portland they were having, there was a group they were having a, a flag-burning and Bible-burning party. And it makes no sense. There's no sense. You know, that it was, it was the way, it was the Bible, it was the message of the Scriptures that, that, that God used as a, as a catalyst to end the slave trade, uh, the African slave trade in Europe and the West. Uh, it was uh, the church that God used as a catalyst for the elevation of women's status and rights in the world based on the way Jesus treated the women in his world. Uh, the ending of the Jim Crow laws in America. You know who the catalyst was for that? The church. Not every church. I'm just saying the church. It was out of, out of you know, church auditoriums, a vision and a... And, and a movement was birthed to stand against such horrible and evil laws. And then the continued fight against abortion laws and clinics. You know where most of that fight is being fought by, or who's fighting most of that? It's the church fighting against abortion laws and clinics. And rightfully so. Like Roe versus Wade, that, that's a, that is an that is immoral law, and the church should stand against it. The church is the voice of God and is called to speak into the darkness of the world, which includes human government. And any time government, you know, when you know government has stepped beyond the bounds that it has been called to is when it starts telling the church or dictating to God's people how they can worship and who they can worship. And that's when you have to stand up and say, I can't do that. I can't do that. The state has no right to, to, to tell the church how the church should be the church, regardless of whatever country you find yourself in. So like in North Korea, the church primarily gathers in secret, in dark places, in the middle of woods, in, in, in places where they can't be discovered. There are, you know, because of a lack of Bibles, there are people who handwrite pages from the Bible and pass that on to somebody else. If they are discovered, it is, uh, it is immediately either uh, a sentence into the concentration camps, the many concentration camps that exist in North Korea, or a death sentence. Um, but the church is being the church. And they are functioning against the laws of, of the land of North Korea and other places, like China. China is another example of how the church is being the church in the midst of uh, tyrannical government. Uh, and then thirdly, this is where a lot of the application comes from, the character of the Christian in a godless world. What, what ought to be our character? 
Well, Paul you know, tells us, or he at least gives us a hint in, verse, in verses six and following, or verses five and following. He says, "Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God." attending to this very thing. Just like, you know, uh, your tithe, your offering, what, what you financially contribute to Meadowbrook Church, uh, for those watching on the live stream and for those of you who are here, uh, that, that enables us to do the mission God has called us to do as a church body. Well, the same is true with taxes. Taxes enables the government to do what the government has been called to do. And so, even though the government told Paul you're not allowed to preach the gospel. Uh, what did he do? He continued to preach the gospel, and you know what else he did? He paid his taxes. Um, so the character of the Christian, what should it be like in, in, in a godless world? So when, I, you know, I told you I've, I've been reading through Daniel for my devotional time, and I'm just working through it chapter by chapter, sometimes taking a couple days in each chapter, and uh, one of the things that's just overwhelming to me is just how God's people stood respectfully, honorably, and charitably against the laws of the land, that, that those laws that would ask God's people to disobey God. Like there is a chain of authority, right? Chain of command or level of authority. So God is the creator of all things, and so if governments, if government who receive their authority from God, if government tells us that we need to disobey God, then who do we obey? And who do we disobey? We obey God, we disobey government. The same is true in marriages. Like, like so husbands, wives, like when you got married, believe it or not, biblically, what happened was you're equal, you always remain equal, but wives, you place yourself under the uh, authority of your husband. That's in the Bible. I know it's uncomfortable to hear, but it's there. And the Bible, guys, in case you're thinking, yes, this is awesome for me, um, the Bible says that if you, uh, if you do not treat your wife in an understanding way, if you do not listen to her, if you do not become a student of her, God will stop hearing your prayers. And so there's a whole dynamic there. But... Um, but when, if your wives, if your husband and husbands, if your wives ask you or demand that you do something that, that goes against God's moral law, who do you listen to? Not your spouse. You listen to God. And uh, same thing with children. Like, um, like children, if you're, and my children know this, if, if I ever say anything or their mother ever says anything, and tells them to do something that God has said don't do, who are they to obey? God. Um, and I can I list many examples, but we don't have time to do that. So, so for Paul, he preached the gospel. And for Nebuchadnezzar, he demanded that everybody in his empire worship Worship uh, this golden image is about 90 feet tall, the statue, and, and these three guys, three friends of, of David, or not David, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, they, they were singled out, and they, the, the magicians and the pagan magicians you know, ratted on them and said, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, didn't you say that everybody has to worship the statue? Well, there are three guys who don't. 
And, uh, and then Nebuchadnezzar got like really angry because his authority was being challenged. And so he brought Manchak, Meshach, now I'm going to mispronounce her names. He brought these three guys in front of him and uh, he said, now you're going to bow down to the statue when the music plays or you're going to die. And what was their response? Did they call Nebuchadnezzar names? No. Did they disrespect him? No. They, re- they respectfully, um, honorably, and charitably said, O king, we can't do that. Like, it's not even an option for us. We can't. And so, if you throw us into the flames and we die, then we die. And if God chooses to spare us in the midst of the flames, then, then he, he'll spare us from the flames. But whatever the outcome is, we can't worship that statue. We cannot obey this law. And so Nebuchadnezzar threw them into the furnace, and God spared them. He spared them. But he didn't spare Paul. He didn't spare Peter. Peter was crucified upside down. And most of the other apostles he didn't spare. In fact, most of the time, God doesn't spare his, his people from suffering and from death. Sometimes he does. When the apostles were told by those in authority in Jerusalem that you need to stop talking about Jesus, what did they say? They said, we must obey God rather than man. They didn't say, hey, idiot, listen up. God's going to judge you and you're going to go to hell and blah, blah, blah. Like, they didn't disrespect them. They, they respectfully said, we can't do what you're telling us to do. And so they were beaten and then they were let go because the, the authorities didn't know what to do with them. And there are seasons when the morally right thing to do is to respectfully, honorably, and charitably stand against the laws of the land. There are seasons for that. Um, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer stood against the laws of his land because he could not sit there and watch Jews be massacred by the Nazi Germany. And he wound up being hung for it. So Paul, Paul says, you know, so, so when you live out your life, you pay taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. That's how we're to conduct our lives. That's how we're to live out our lives. And every once in a while, we're called to stand against the law, uh, particular laws in the land. And, and that is the morally right and just thing to do. But we need to be prepared to, to, uh, to, bear, to, to, to be on the receiving end of the sword that God has granted to, to government, which could mean fines. It could mean the, you know, the taking of property, or it could mean even death. There's a passage in the Bible, a conversation Jesus had that I think, for me, sets the tone for how we should live our lives. And, uh, and so, the, so these people came up, Pharisees uh, came up to Jesus, and somebody asked him a question. And he said, you know, you know Jesus, Rome is a horrible empire. They're, they're immoral. I mean, all the taxes that we, that we give, some of those taxes you know, fund you know, abortion and, and, and pedophilia and just all kinds of horrible things. 
is being funded by our taxes, so should we pay taxes to Rome or shouldn't we? And Jesus, I mean, read Mark chapter 12 sometime. It's really interesting, the dialogue that happens between him and these guys. And he said, why are you bothering me with these question, this question? So if so, somebody get me a coin, and so somebody gets Jesus a coin, he holds up the coin and he asks the question, whose image do you see on this coin? And the people's response was, Caesar. Like, it's Caesar's image. The point Jesus was making is that the reason why Caesar's image is on the coin is because the coin is owned by Caesar. You know, God granted Caesar authority, but the, the, you know, the coin belongs to Caesar, and so give back to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but whose image do you bear? God's. So give to God what belongs to God, and give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And that's the way we're to live our lives. And every time the government asks us or commands us, God, then we res- that we give to Caesar what rightfully belongs to God, then we respectfully, charitably, and honorably say we can't do that. And the culture of, of the people of God ought to be what Paul describes in chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, which is the, the passage that a, you know, precedes Romans 13. And I know we've looked at this a couple of times. Actually, I started this whole sermon series on Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, but I want to read it for you again. If you have a Bible, you might want to turn open to it. You can listen to it if you'd like, and if you're watching on the live stream, you probably have a Bible in your house. So turn open to Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, and I just want to read this slowly, and this is the culture of our hearts. This should be our response to the world around us, if you're trying to figure out how do we live life as followers of Jesus in a godless world. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. It's COVID-19. That's what God's telling us. Be patient. Be patient in tribulation, in, in suffering, in the midst of suffering. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those. Listen, church, especially the evangelical American church. Bless those who, what? Persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceable with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, listen to this, this is great. If your enemy is hungry, what should you do? Feed him. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to what? Drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? 
good. That's what we're called to. And it's not easy. It's not easy to overcome evil with good. There's, I know there's something in me that just wants to throat punch somebody. You know, like there was a troll that was, that was released as a toy, a doll. And I won't go into details, but some of you already know about it. And, um, and it's highly inappropriate and it's geared towards children. We live in a culture that's grooming our children to be victimized by adults. And everything in me wants, I, I wants to get violent. And, and, and so Paul says, and the, the Word of God says, overcome evil with good. How do we do that? Well, we do what the church is called to do. Special grace. We speak the redemptive message of the gospel into our world. And we pray for those in authority over us. Well, when we closed our building, and this is, I'm wrapping this up, when we closed our building, we didn't do it because we were commanded to do it. We did it because it was the right and moral thing to do. We didn't know. Nobody knew what COVID-19 was. I mean, it, it was dangerous. It was highly transmittable. It was, and, and, and the projected death rate was through the roof. And, and so there were a lot of things around it that, were, that we were unsure about. And so our governor in Wyoming, I can't say this for every governor, but for our governor in Wyoming, I really believe sincerely was looking for a way to, to, uh, to do good for Wyoming by protecting us from, from COVID. And there were recommendations that were in place that the, they put out there. Businesses were asked to close down. So were churches. And it was all kind of equal playing ground. And, it, and we did that because it was the right thing to do. And then when it came time to start talking about reopening again, I submitted my proposal to uh, the Laramie, Laramie County Health Department, and I said, this is what I'm thinking. This is kind of what reconvening can look like. And, and there was a, that opened up a dialogue between our state and, our, and us as a church that was healthy. And so they kind of spoke into my plan and, and, my, and what I submitted, spoke into kind of what they were thinking and, and how they were shaping what, what, what it would look like for churches to open up. And that's the way it should be. Church, the church being, you know, being the redemptive agent that it's called to be and the government looking out for the good of society. Never once did the government tell us or did our governor tell Meadowbrook that you're not allowed to preach, you're not allowed to sing, you're not allowed to worship. Never once did, he, did they ask that. And, um, and I praise God for that. And so... Like we have three worship services that we do on Sunday, not because we're breaking at the seams. <laughs> In fact, statistically speaking, churches all across America uh, will only see anywhere between 30 to 40% of the people who are attending pre-COVID back in their churches. Um, and that's probably going to stay that way for until there is a vaccine available. And the thing I praise God about Meadowbrook for is that we're, we're hovering in, the, in the just over 100 people, which is, which is slightly more than 50% of our congregation. And the reason why we have three services is not, not, so, not because we need to provide um, more chairs, but because we need to make sure there's enough space for you to practice social distancing. Because 
we want this to feel like a place, that we want this to be a place where you feel safe. We're not going to require everybody to wear masks, but we are, we are asking you to practice social distancing, you know, when you're singing and sitting. And sitting. So, you know, there is a balance to be, to be had here, to be practiced. And this other pastor friends of mine, pastor, when, when I say, and I've said this to the staff, I've said this to other pastor friends of mine, that I think I even said this to the pastor at uh, Element Church when we had coffee together. I, I, I can only see the next step in front of me. Can't see. I mean, it's it's just a weird time because before COVID, we were think we we're planning six months to a year in advance. And so, all that to say that um, you know we're. I, I think this is the balance. We're worshiping God together. Those who can't be with us can do so through the live stream. Eventually, those of you on the live stream will find your way back into into the building because um, we need each other. We need each other. I wish, um, I wish I could say that things are going to get better. I, just, I think COVID-19 just has allowed the mask to be taken off of America, and things are just going to get worse. They're not going to get better. And, um, and so who, what kind of people are we going to be? I never thought, like five months ago, I would have said probably, yeah, there's no way any governor in the United States will tell a church that they're not allowed to sing or, or preach or worship on a Sunday. But here we are. I mean, Ventura County State Judge issued a temporary restraining order. I found this on, on Friday. Uh, order to Pastor Bob McCoy of Godspeak Calvary Chapel Church prohibiting the church from meeting under Governor Newsom's uh, COVID-19, no singing, and no worship orders. I, I never thought in a million years that that day would come in America. But here we are. And then anybody who, uh, let's see, the local judge who this was brought before, you know, the, the question was, isn't this unconstitutional? Which I think is very unconstitutional. But, but basically the judge ruled anyone who dares visit the church, anyone who visits the church to worship could be held in contempt of court. And so how do we respond? I think we do, so, we do, we do it wisely. I think social distancing is a wise thing to, to practice right now. But when it comes to worship of God, we, we respond to the government I can't obey those rules. And, I, and you do it respectfully, honorably, and charitably. Don't be a jerk for Jesus. <laughs> right? We, 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 we represent the King of kings and Lord of lords, and our confidence is in him alone and not in our rights as, as, a, as a citizens of the United States of America. We are citizens of the kingdom of God first and foremost. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word. God, I thank you. I, I just love your word. I love how your, the scriptures speak into the things that we're experiencing as a people, especially Romans 13, in light of what we're experiencing now. God, I lift up our law enforcement officers all across the nation. I, I pray for them. I have friends who are in law enforcement. We have law enforcement here, Lord, in this church. 
And uh, God, I pray for their safety. I pray for their protection. It's, I know it's a discouraging time for them. God, I pray for encouragement for them. I pray that churches all over America will stand up and just remind our, our, those in law enforcement and first responders that we are for them and that we are not against them and uh, that we are for justice and we are for righteousness and, you know, across the board. And God, may your church be the, the agent that speaks into some of the things that do need to be corrected in, in some departments in law enforcement. But God, protect us from the defunding of, of, of police across this nation. And um, God, I do pray for revival in our, in our nation, that, that they that a miracle would happen, that things would not get worse, that they would get better. And it, wouldn't, it, won't be because of a, it would not be because of a president, but it would be because of your church speaking into the darkness and being the light that we're called to be and to being the salt that we're called to be in this world that so desperately needs you. Help us to be that people. Help us to be a Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21 kind of people. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.